and I was never, ever going to get an academic job, much less a tenure-track one. They always say execution clarifies the mind wonderfully. So does the prospect of law school. I made one last desperate attempt. I sent out letters to all the known descendants of the Purple Gentian and the Scarlet Pimpernel, politely asking if I might please, pretty, pretty, please, have access to any family papers they didn't mind showing to a humble little Harvard student. Have I mentioned that Colin is a direct descendant of Lord Richard Selwick, also known as the Purple Gentian? Three months later, I was still reeling over my good fortune. I had enough footnotes to make my advisor's eyes go pop. I had been given access to archival material the likes of which I had never dared to dream existed, and I was dating someone who could make my heart do a little tap dance simply by showing up in the room. I was so happy, it was scary. Oh, I still suffered from the usual slings and arrows to which flesh is heir, like the tube breaking down on me every other morning and the British Library cafeteria serving potato soup three days in a row. There were also the looming clouds of larger worries, like the fact that, although Colin claimed to be writing a spy novel, I still wasn't convinced that his so-called research on the subject was entirely fictional in nature. Colin's great-great-great-grandparents had founded a school for spies. From what little he had let slip, his father had carried on in the family tradition under the auspices of the army. Not to mention that Colin had been more than usually resistant to my poking around in his family's past. Nothing more than that fabled British reticence? Perhaps. But I couldn't quite exorcise the nagging feeling that there might be something more to it. The spy novel story was just a little too pat. If you were a spy looking for a cover story, wouldn't the best cover be just that? A story? On the other hand, maybe I was just out-clevering myself, building up complications where there were none. Not like I'd ever done that to myself before. When Colin hit the Times bestseller list, I'd be the first in line applauding. Even leaving aside all the cloak-and-dagger stuff, there were practical problems on the horizon. Colin's life was based three-quarters in Sussex and one-quarter in London, while I was due to return to Cambridge, the American one, in May. But it was only February now. May felt a very long time away. I could deal with May when I got there. And in the meantime, I had extended visits with Colin, both in London and Sussex, a grilled cheese and tomato sandwich on my plate, and a full cup of coffee in front of me with free refills to come. Life was good. Life was very, very good. It only seemed fair to pass some of the happiness along. I beamed across the table at Colin's sister, Serena, who was doing a very good job of toying with her salad without actually eating any of it. Next to her, Colin's friend, Martin, was devouring his pasta bolognese as though personally determined to eat enough for both of them. That wasn't exactly how I had planned for lunch to go when I decided to take Serena up as my personal project. It wasn't that Serena was frumpy or dowdy or any of the usual devices of those teen movies where the more popular girl takes on the plainer one and makes her into prom queen. When it came to sartorial sense, Serena was several steps ahead of me. She had that fragile thinness 
so beloved of fashion magazines, and whoever those cruel people are who create designer jeans, long, elegant bones with only the bare rudiments of skin over them. Her hair was long and soft and shiny and naturally straight, and her face had the sorts of interesting hollows one gets from weighing about twenty percent below one's recommended body weight. She was the sort of girl whose hair never frizzes and whose skirt never gets rumpled. She was also painfully shy, borderline anorexic, potentially bulimic, and a disaster when it came to dealing with men. Not to put too fine a point on it, Serena was an emotional train wreck. She might be an aesthetically pleasing and sweet-natured train wreck, but those are the most dangerous kind. Their looks attract all sorts of bottom-feeding predators, while their innate gentleness of spirit makes it impossible for them to stand up for themselves. See...